0: Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Todd Bensman, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. And today's topic, states are dealing with illegal immigration on their own, out of necessity, Todd Bensman, welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I
0: want to talk first of all about Title 42 because there's a lot going on around this and people have probably heard the term but might not understand it. What is Title 42?
1: Title 42 is a U.S. code established in 1944 for the executive branch uh, and now the CDC to control for communicable diseases and to uh, shut the border down, essentially. It was invoked in March 2020 for the COVID pandemic and really just boils down to all immigrants crossing the border are immediately expelled back to Mexico and given no opportunity to apply for asylum. And so Title 42 had been in place through the end of the Trump administration and then the Biden administration carried over part of it, you know, have these big cutouts for uh, families and unaccompanied minors.
0: Is this something that that is done via executive power? In other words, can the president just say, hey, we're invoking this or Mm -hmm. we're we're attempting to revoke it as is happening now?
1: The authority lies with the CDC to Mm -hmm. declare it, but the CDC relies on the federal government to enforce it. So the law requires the federal government to enforce it.
0: So there's presently an attempt to revoke Title 42, and I understand that there's been some court wranglings going on. Could you bring us up to date?
1: Right now we're in the midst of a very historic mass migration event uh, that began when the Biden administration cut out exemptions to Title 42 for family units. So this we've had about... uh, pushing close to 3 million apprehensions and what they call gotaways just with those exemptions that have just, uh, you know, hit the border. Uh, probably about 1.3 million have been allowed into the country, rewarded for their illegal border crossings. and About 650,000 others have gotten through unapprehended. What the plan is now uh, is to lift the, the rest of title 42 on everybody else, mainly single adults and um, other other families. And they're expecting about 18,000 a day mm-hmm. coming through right now. There's maybe um, 7,000 uh, or 8,000 a day. So it should, it should more than double. They're expecting it to more than double, which would be, I mean, we're already in a disastrous chaos down there and this will just be it'll go from disastrous chaos to complete catastrophe that's kind of what's in the offing and now there's so there's court wrangling and there's political wrangling democrats are facing a tough midterm election especially senate incumbents and so the democrats actually are pushing to uh, hold title 42 in place because it's at least one last speed bump well, we're already in historic territory now, you know, whatever this thing that's going to come next is by, you know, orders of magnitude greater.
0: So the Democrats are pushing for it. Some Democrats are obviously, I would imagine, they're joined by virtually all the Republicans. Is that going to have an influence? Has there been any indication from the Biden administration that they're willing to back off?
1: No, uh, there has been no public indication been a, there was a little bit of reporting, uh, Axios did a piece not long ago, that suggested that they were kind of mulling it over, but I think that they were waiting for these court cases to kind of win their way, and maybe they can get out of having to do it themselves, and it does look like Louisiana federal court stayed it for now, although I don't think it'll push it past the November election, which is... I think really what the Democrats are hoping for, they just can't tolerate the, you know, the the visuals of 18,000 a day total attracting all Mm -hmm. national attention in a sustained way just before the election.
0: So what is the anticipated political fallout? It's got to be immense or they wouldn't be changing their tune.
1: I think a lot of prognostication is, is that, you know, the Republicans will take the house by far retake the house but it's always been a question about whether they could take the the senate and i think what they're looking at is that they would lose the senate over this and and so that you would have the uh republicans have both chambers solidly both chambers uh and then the uh biden white house uh and so you'd have another split government like this that's sort of what's at stake i think but in a politically, but in a broader way, the nation really would, you know, suffer in a lot of different ways, you know, having that level of really no, no border at all. Yeah. This is where I wanted to
0: go with it. Cause I often refer to it when I'm talking about it as the former Southern border of the United States of America. Is oh. that an overstatement? Cause it sure sounds like there's very little, if any border enforcement going on presently
1: there is border enforcement in you know, California and to a certain extent in Arizona and New Mexico, where the epicenter of the crisis is where the big kind of breach in the levee. Uh, if you want to think like, you know, hurricane Katrina mm-hmm. it just was this one breach in the levee that flooded the city. Right. And that's in Texas. So right now title 42 is effectively not, even being used because the anticipation uh, within the world of aspiring migrants was so great that they already began flooding over and are currently swamping the border patrol and all of our infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was already swamped before, but there were still some title 42 pushback Mm -hmm. expulsions. It's, already, uh, you know, completely out of control. I mean, everybody's just flooding in, pouring, pouring in by the thousands and thousands all day long, all night long, even during the daytime hours. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, you have to kind of go down there to see this thing, you know, thousands and thousands of people just walking across and getting in. We're just letting everybody in. Nobody, nobody's, Nobody's being pushed back. It's just a wide open border in parts of South Texas and also, sometimes in Del Rio and Yuma, Arizona is the other spot where there's a, a breach. Tens of thousands of people are just pouring through there every day, every week.
0: If all of these people are, are pouring in through these points, is, is it by design that they're coming to these places? Is there any interdiction at all? In other words, are they being stopped and asked who they are and that let to go on? Or are they just clearly walking into the country and assimilating themselves?
1: Well, what border patrol does typically, uh, when in situations like this is they, they take names, they take fingerprints, they run them through a facility just long enough for them to get COVID test and document legal document. That is what's called like a notice to report or a notice to appear later. It's kind of an honor system of like report to ice in the next three months, sometime in the city of your choice. And then they just get on buses and and airplanes that fly all around the country. From river to Chicago or New Orleans or any city in the country is about maybe uh, 72 hours, 48 hours. So there is some control. We know we at least have names and, and fingerprints and things like that. And a lot of them are being given cell phones. supposed to be a way for the government to, to keep in touch with them. So to make sure that they, to check in with them, that they report to ice huge, huge numbers. We have reporting in on this, uh, huge numbers of these people over the, that we've been doing this for about a year and three months, Mm -hmm. never report because why, (laughs) you know, why they're, yeah.
0: I'm amazed that anybody does.
1: Well, some do, because if you apply for asylum, there are benefits. Um, You're not going to get it. Most of these people do not apply, do not qualify for asylum. Uh, They're economic migrants. There are very, very few numbers of them will actually be granted asylum. But the backlog is five years before a, a case even comes up to decide that. And then you can appeal that into, you know, for 10 more years if you want. But all during that, you get to qualify for public welfare benefits and work authorization, and you're basically legalized for all those years. There are some benefits to applying for asylum for some people, but most just want to work illegally. And so they just want to get past Border Patrol. And there's no deportation. They ended uh, all deportation in, in America. They don't have to worry about, like, you know, ICE catching up with them. At some point and and deporting them there even if they commit terrible crimes they still get to stay
0: you mentioned todd the buses and airplanes and and many people just really can't get their minds around who's paying for this and where are they going and under what arrangement
1: well it's confusing in a lot of cases the immigrants are paying for the transportation themselves you know, bus fare is pretty cheap. So if you've got friends or relatives in the country, you just have them pay for it. And you pay them back later. So it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we're also seeing families of uh, three or four, they're considered vulnerable families, but I've seen them. They're just regular families who are being given government checks for $4,400 and airfare and being escorted right through the TSA lines Right onto to the planes. A lot of them don't have identification or proper identification, so they have to be escorted onto the planes. And so there's that that's happening too. You know, there are nonprofit organizations that are helping out with subsidizing the transportation too. So there's all different kinds of help. But I would say that most of them are just picking up the bus fare. You know, it's not that big of a deal.
0: The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast with Todd Bensman, Center for Immigration Studies, continues in a moment. Join the revolution online at shillingshow.com. Shilling Show Unleashed. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. We return with Todd Bensman, Center for Immigration Studies, a senior national security fellow. We're talking about the states in many cases having to deal with illegal immigration on their own. And I'd like to go to Texas now. Uh, the the big news story was that Governor Greg Abbott was sending buses of these people who cross into the country illegally to Washington D.C. Uh, what was that all about?
1: Well, that particular. Operation, I think, was uh, a little bit of uh, political optics and, and stagecraft. It's not a significant thing. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, the more significant operation that Texas uh, did, which I think was, was very innovative and meaningful and impactful, uh, at least in the beginning, was that they had their, the state troopers begin vehicle inspections, safety inspections at America's busiest land ports for trucking, they jammed up four or five of these bridges, international bridges, for you know, tens of miles into the Mexican interior until the with this implicit threat that you know we're going to you know ruin your economy if you don't stop the illegal immigration on your side. That, to me, was far more interesting and meaningful and and potentially impactful than this bus thing that was happening. I think most of the media focused on the bus thing, but that, to me, is not interesting at all. What was interesting uh, and what people probably ought to pay more attention to is the fact that four Mexican state governors were forced to the bargaining table with Greg Abbott, the Texas governor, and agreed to mitigate, staunch a lot of the illegal immigration coming through their states into Texas. I mentioned earlier that Texas is the epicenter of this whole thing. So they have these agreements in place maybe for about a week now, maybe 10 days. The big question is, you know, are they effective or what are the state, what are the Mexican state governments doing about this? And at this point, it's, it may be just a little bit too early to say whether it's effective. The Texas governor, as part of the agreement, made it clear that, that if he doesn't like the result, then he'll block the bridges again. So I'm waiting to see whether they're going to block the bridges again, because I haven't been down there in the last week or so, but by most accounts, I'm hearing that it's just the flow is greater than ever. Like I, It doesn't seem like anything's happening at all.
0: So what was the response of the Biden administration to Governor Abbott taking this bold step?
1: Well, for one thing, you have to remember that diplomacy, international diplomacy, is a duty and responsibility that resides wholly with the White House and, and the State Department. What this did effectively was seize that from the federal government. And you have Greg Abbott running diplomacy with a sovereign national government of Mexico. That obviously is not a pleasant thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the president has made some comments and Jim uh, Psaki made some comments to the effect that governor was, you know, making the nation's problems with inflation and supply chain more acute for political purposes. And so it was that, that sort of criticism. But Other than than some statements of criticism like that, the Biden administration has not sued uh, and has not really acted in any kind of meaningful material way about this. And that could be because Abbott was able to secure these four agreements very quickly, I think within the first week. But we'll see if he reinstitutes the bridge closures People need to understand that, you know, trade with Mexico is a a national security issue because there's oil imports over that border, lots of, you know, auto and vehicle parts uh, moving over. And, you know, the administration could maybe make a legal claim that, you know, the state government is interfering or, you know, degrading national security and also just meddling in affairs that it has no legal authority to meddle in, but that would be a really interesting legal case because the state also has a total right to conduct truck safety inspections.
0: A state like Texas, let's stay there for a second, then I want to go to Florida, but a state like Texas uh, that that has bearing the brunt of, of much of this problem the federal government abdicating its duties. What are their other options? Do they declare a state of emergency and start apprehending people? Do they have other legal options? Are they completely at the mercy of the Biden administration?
1: Well the state of Texas has already been for for much of the last year conducting its own operations on the border. They've what's called Operation Lone Star, which involves deployments of state troopers and criminal investigators and really about $4 billion worth of expenditure down there for to plug up the gaps and to do what it can. A couple of the other innovative ideas that they've tried, they're arresting immigrants on state trespassing charges and state alien transportation charges in an expanding, ever-expanding areas of the border, but not, not the entire border because there are limitations to what they can do and where they can do it. They also have begun erecting the uh, Trump fence. And, I mean, it's the wall that, that we're all familiar with. They are erecting walling on private lands uh, where they have been given permission to do that as much of it as they can put up. And they also have a chain link fence, you know, miles of it actually that they put up along other private lands. And so they're doing what they can, but ultimately they don't feel, or they have not asserted a legal right to pick up migrants and put them back in Mexico, which is what I think everybody wants the state to do. They'd come right up to the edge of that but have not crossed. There is an argument that is being made uh, that there's a, you know, Title Ten of the Constitution allows, and it, it is, does seem pretty explicit that it, it would allow individual states to muster force to repel an invasion mm-hmm. uh, from, from their territory. And I think that's, I mean, that's sort of the one place that, that Abbott has not gone yet, and that's just because I think. I mean, he doesn't talk about that very much. When he had primary campaign opponents a month or two ago, uh, those campaign—they were to his right. Those those uh, primary opponents were arguing that they would do that if they if they would get in, and they were thoroughly beaten by Abbott in those primary campaigns. There was clearly not much resonance about. That issue in the campaign. And so I think he's feeling like I don't really have to do this. And I think it is fraught because if he did try to do that, he'd face a couple of problems. One is that in order to expel immigrants, you have to take them physically across the international bridge. And those international bridges are controlled by who federal CBP officers who answer to the white house. I think that they would, you would have a um, confrontation at the base of the bridge. You're not passing here with us immigrants. We're not letting you cross. Uh, and that would just be the first obstacle. You know, what do you do there? You have everybody got, draws their guns. I mean, what do you, I mean? What happens there? I don't think anybody wants to have a standoff between state troopers and federal agents or something at the bridge. And then the other issue is, uh, in my mind, is that, you know, the, the government of Mexico has to agree diplomatically to accept migrants, to accept expulsions. Uh, that's a diplomacy that only happens between federal uh, governments. So between the White House and Obrador, it's not clear that the Mexican government would play ball with the state of Texas on that if they ever even could get past the blue uniforms on the bridges, then you'd have to have the Mexicans agree to take them, and they might not.
0: There is strength in numbers. Have you heard any talk of of several of these border states and adjacent border states, the governors banding together and trying to come up with a unified strategy?
1: There, there is an agreement now among governors. Uh, it's unclear what that's going to, what how that's going to uh, play out. And to be honest, um, they haven't really put out a lot of detail about what that's going to, what that's actually going to mean. The issue here really is that immigration control at the border is very, very much a federal statutory jurisdiction. It's just states can't grab migrants and detain them. There's just they have no legal statutory authority to do that. They turn them over to the feds who let them go. That's really what the the issue here is. They turn them over to the feds and let them go. So the states right now are trying every possible, they're put into this position where they are just trying to find every possible breach in, in and around and over the laws, the statutory authorities to do what they can. But... It just seems to always be thwarted or limited or, you know, they just can't. It's not stopping the mass migration. It's just, it's a federal authority. It's border patrol. It's CBP.
0: You have a new book out, Todd Bensman, that I'd like you to talk about just briefly, America's Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. And we've seen the pictures of some of the prayer books and shawls left around the border areas Uh, How serious is the issue?
1: Jihadist infiltration over the border. This is like one of these big taboo national topics. Every time somebody raises it, uh, there's all this argument. And, you know, is it true? Is it not true? Is it a big threat? Is it a little threat? And my book, America's Covert Border War, just tries to address what actually that threat is and how we've responded to it as a nation. What it comes down to is that we... After nine eleven, did deploy these very innovative counterterrorism programs to the border to address that particular issue. And not only have we deployed, you know, intelligence uh, forces and law enforcement uh, personnel and kind of a consolidated, centrally managed counterterrorism program to the to the border, but we also have deployed one throughout Latin America in probably a dozen different countries that are all along the migrant routes. And the purpose of that one is to ferret out jihadists who are trying to come in and get rid of them. Uh, Also to break up these long haul smuggling networks that bring them over the Atlantic into South America for the trip north. The threat is a matter of debate, how how big of a threat. Uh, in my book, I attribute the absence of terror attack from the southern border to the effectiveness of these two major programs that we've had because they they are they are effective. I think I support that well in the book. We catch every year an average of twenty uh, immigrants who are on the FBI's terrorism watch list and we deport almost all of them and we also have apprehensions and deportations happening in panama and costa rica and mexico all the time all year round and so i think the the threat was was managed it was a well-managed threat for a long long time i think that that it was difficult for Jihadists to get here and to get over without being caught and found out and interrogated and deported, uh, which is what happens at the border. When you have a crisis of this magnitude with this many people coming over with all of our federal agencies totally overrun, uh, then these programs are impacted as well. And I believe that right now that they are a little bit off the rails. They're, they're still you know, catching migrants who are on the FBI's terrorism watch list. They just caught one the other day, deported a, a Turkish a member of a terrorist organization back to Turkey. We have had, you know, we had a Lebanese Venezuelan uh, reach the southern border who was on the FBI's terrorism watch list uh who actually got released Mm. under this weight of this onslaught and is now walking around free in detroit uh, pursuing an asylum claim and then we've had 23 immigrants on the fbi's terrorism watch list cross in 2021 Mm. that just came out that gives you an idea of the, the numbers which which are small of just fbi watch listed people we also have had 650,000 in the last year and a few months just get through without being apprehended. And that to me is the risk issue that you just have hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people walking through and getting into the American interior unknown.
0: Todd Bensman, if people want to follow your work at the Center for Immigration Studies or get a copy of your book, America's Covert Border War, how can they do that?
1: Well, you can find me at cis.org, Center for Immigration Studies. If you go to the blog area, you'll find my name, and you can just get all my stuff there. You can also find me at toddbensman.com. I I write for a number of other publications on a regular basis, and so all of my writings are at toddbensman.com and my media appearances. And my book, America's Covert Border War, is uh, published by Post Hill Press. Uh, and it is available anywhere books are sold. You know, you could go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, any, pretty much anywhere, and order it, and Kindle and everything else. Todd
0: Bensman, it's important work that you're doing. Thank you for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast.
1: Great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time...